0: Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is The AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this
1: episode, just sign on the dotted line or... I just need your signature. How many times are you asked to do this over the course of a year? Or you just read the terms of agreement on your phone and you scroll down and click accept without really reading the fine details. Well, this has the potential to be disastrous for a farmer, particularly this year, when it comes to the eligibility declaration that you're signing when you're selling your grain to an elevator. Tom Steve with Alberta Wheat and Alberta Barley Commission has a warning for farmers those declarations may look the same, but there are some significant changes this year. He will explain those changes, why it happened, the repercussions of not understanding what you've signed, and your legal obligations. Often, people have a certain vision of what a conventional farm looks like. It usually involves a tractor or a combine in a field of golden grain. Well today, on Not Your Everyday Farmer, we will feature a very different type of farming operation. John Cote and his wife, Barb Stefanischen Cote, did the unthinkable and sold the family farm. And then they embarked on a completely different experience, making gin and selling flowers. Barb will talk about their journey to the creation of Black Fox Farm and Distillery and how they've never worked harder in their lives. After the break, Tom Steve.
0: Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarland.
1: Tom, Steve is the general manager of the Alberta Wheat and Barley Commission based in Calgary. And Tom, we're going to discuss the changes to the eligibility declarations that farmers have to sign at the elevator. So first, just explain the purpose of a declaration.
0: Well, uh, farmers who deal with uh, line grain companies um, will be familiar with Eligibility declarations because they've uh, been asked to sign them uh, for a number of years and it basically spells out that uh, you're delivering what you say and that you're following uh, the grain company's requirements in terms of, for example, chemistries that might be used uh, to protect the crop from weeds or uh, diseases or pests. And um, so in some cases, there are restrictions on certain products being applied uh, or applied at certain times of the year. Um, And for a number of years, there has been a a variety declaration which mostly applies to wheat. And um, the history of that was that uh, when we moved away from kernel visual distinguishability in wheat, uh, there needed to be some kind of a declaration that farmers made that it was a variety within a class uh, that is registered in Canada. The the big difference uh, this year is that variety declaration portion has moved from a contractual obligation to a legal obligation governed by the Canada Grain Act. And that's uh, what we really feel that farmers need to be aware of.
1: So what is the difference and why is this happening now?
0: So this um, relates directly to the Canada-U.S.-Mexico trade agreement which came into force on July 1st of this year. Um, One of the concessions that Canada made and is a long-standing issue with U.S. farmers is that when they were delivering uh, U.S. wheat into Canada, uh, their wheat would not qualify for a Canadian grade, it would automatically be declared feed. And then they could potentially negotiate the price uh, with the grain company based on the specification, but um, it was um, an irritant with American farmers, especially along the border in Montana and North Dakota, that you know maybe they'd like to uh, to deliver into Canada. there would be an attractive price, but their their wheat would be graded as feed so Canada and the in the Kuzma agreement agreed to uh, um, make a concession that um, U.S. wheat coming into the country could receive a Canadian grade, provided it was a registered variety in Canada. So there are uh, Canadian varieties that are registered south of the border, and that will allow that U.S. wheat to flow north um, if it's advantageous to the farmer. So that's the background of why this change was made. Uh, the Canadian Grain Commission, um, with you know the impending uh, implementation of uh, the Canada-US-Mexico agreement, needed to find a mechanism to allow that grain to flow north, and that is uh, why the declaration has been changed, because US farmers will be required to sign that declaration of the variety within a class, and um, consequently, um, that was extended to Canadian farmers as well, who have been signing a declaration previously, but it was a contractual, not a, a legal obligation. And again, that's the difference. The, the um, declaration that uh, farmers in Saskatchewan and Alberta and Manitoba are signing looks a lot like the one in, that uh, they've signed in the past. It's just that that part B that uh, relates to the declaration of the variety within a class is now legally binding, not uh, part of a contract. And, And being offside with that legal requirement does have some consequences
1: wheat and barley are working together to make sure they get this message out to all farmers how are you feeling about these changes Tom and do you feel that they're warranted
0: our thought is that um, you know there could have been an easier way to accomplish uh, the same goal um, really the the regulatory change uh, was required for wheat primarily coming into Canada the Canadian Grain Commission, in their wisdom, decided to extend it to all grains. And so, um, for example, at uh, canola crush plants and uh, pulse processing plants, there's now the requirement that this declaration be signed, which uh, hasn't been uh, the case in the past. Um, We felt that if the objective was to um, allow US wheat to Flow freely into Canada under the new trade agreement. That there could have been a specific provision around wheat, um, but again, it was extended to all grains. And um, you know that uh, we, we don't really feel that that was necessary. We also feel that um, the regulatory change was rushed through. There was limited consultation with producer groups. We had one conference call with the Canadian Grain Commission. And within about three weeks, they came back and said, "Well, this is the way it's going to be." Uh, the Western Grain Elevator Association signed off on it, and uh, and so we're where we're at. So, so, so now we're we're trying to create some awareness around the, the new rules, just uh, as a as an example of. Um, how this has affected farmers in other parts of the country Uh, in eastern canada they have until now not been required to sign declarations of this nature um, from ontario east to the maritimes Uh, they they actually pushed back on this new regulation and they got a one-year exemption Uh, so um, it'll come into force next year in the eastern provinces but i think it demonstrates that um you know in our opinion the there wasn't enough due diligence on this and obviously it was known that the the free trade agreement was going to come into force on july 1st um but it was literally uh you know a number of weeks i, I don't recall exactly but it was you know around may uh when uh, we were invited to a conference call with the grain commission and so it was it was rushed and um you know it it is a significant increase in liability to the farmer that perhaps um, with a little bit more uh, sober second thought put into it, we could have come up with a maybe a, a little more uh, streamlined solution and one that's uh, less onerous on the farmer. But, um, it, you know, it is what it is. Uh, and again, we all sometimes uh, sign off on those um you know, terms and conditions. you know if we're downloading an app, uh, for example, we may or may not read those. I'm guilty of that as well. We would just encourage farmers to carefully read what they're signing. Um, and And the declaration, um, the Canadian um, Grain Company declaration, so that's the line companies, have combined it with their contractual eligibility certificate, um, which, as I mentioned earlier, um, put certain restrictions on chemistries that you may or may not be able to apply at certain times of the year. The use of plant growth regulators is in some cases restricted on um, malting barley, for example. So the, there's a, a, one form that's being used that has uh, contractual ramifications but also legal ramifications, and we, we just think producers need to understand that.
1: Tom, Steve is our guest, and we're talking about the changes to the declaration that farmers sign at the grain elevator before they start selling some of their products. Uh, Tom, what are the legal ramifications if a farmer violates the terms of this eligibility declaration?
0: If you are in violation of the Canada Grain Act, so let's say you misrepresent um, a delivery and it's uh, not a registered variety of wheat in canada for example uh the the fines under the grain act are up to twelve thousand dollars for individuals and eighteen thousand dollars for a corporation now um, would those likely be imposed Um, probably in very isolated situations the difficulty again that we have with this is that there's no dispute resolution mechanism in place Uh, the Canadian Grain Commission has said that they will work with farmers um, if there's you know found to be an issue uh, on a case-by-case basis Um, that's a little bit loose in in our minds um, because if um, there is a dispute between the, the company and the, you know, the that uh, has bought the grain and the producer who has sold them the grain. Um, we don't have an adjudication process. We just have, you know, a, a fairly vague commitment from the Canadian Grain Commission that they will work with the farmer. So we'd like to see that tightened up for sure because. Um, disputes can arise on uh, what's being delivered into the elevator or the crush plant or the pulse processing plant and um, I think uh, there's a good argument that we we require more than just a, a commitment from the CGC to work with farmers on it.
1: So your bottom line message to producers is?
0: You just be aware of what you're delivering uh, to the best of your ability and um make sure that you uh, read those declarations and, you know, um, ask questions of your, uh, of the buyer. Um, and, you know, in most cases, uh, farmers are are dealing, you know, pretty much on a handshake basis with their local um, elevator or processing plant and uh, problems are unlikely to arise in most Situations, but but just know what you're uh, you're delivering. Um, certainly, um, beyond the variety declaration, uh, be aware of what's um, been uh, what products have been applied to that uh, commodity because uh, there are more and more, um, I guess, checks and balances in the system around what's going to be um, used as and what's going to be acceptable as. Uh, uh, crop protection product and you just need to be aware that uh, the end-use customer will ultimately uh, decide and um, so so just know what you're delivering.
1: Tom Steve is the general manager of the Alberta Wheat and Alberta Barley Commission. After the break Barb Stephanie Shincote talks about the move from a traditional grain and oil seed farm to the world of producing spirits and growing flowers
0: digging into the topics that matter to you the agripod with Alice McFarlane.
1: Barb Stephanie Cote is co-owner of Black Fox Farm and Distillery located just outside of Saskatoon Saskatchewan and we're here to talk about their journey from conventional farming to making gin so Barb you and your husband were really like many typical farm kids you grew up on a farm and uh, met and got married and continued to farm
2: Oh, for sure. So John and I met uh, in the College of Agriculture at the University of Saskatchewan. We both were come from farming backgrounds. Uh, He grew up uh, on a grain farm near Leask, Saskatchewan, and I came from a mixed farm outside of uh, Springside, which is near Yorkton. We met uh, and uh, then the sparks flew, and then we uh, got married and went back farming with John's mom and dad when we, we first got started. We farmed with them for about a year and a half, and they said that was fun, but they were out. And so we bought the farm from them, and we took it from 1,500 acres up to 5,000 acres. We also included a fuel and fertilizer dealership, and uh, we did had an animal nutrition consulting business that we operated from the farm.
1: Well, that sounds like a very busy life. And then then you decided to make a change, and you left the country. Now, that's a pretty drastic change
2: yeah we did. Um, we We had had the opportunity um, individually, John and myself, to do a lot of travel. and we we really admired the the experience that we got from it. What we learned, what we saw, and we felt it was really important for our kids to see that there were things being done all over the world that were not the same as what we we did here in Saskatchewan, and that there was absolutely nothing wrong with that. It wasn't wrong that it was different from us. It was just different. So we took a sabbatical from farming. We packed up our kids and went and lived in Mexico for a year and in Chile for a year. So that was uh, that was pretty exciting times for us.
1: All right, so you come back to the farm, and two years later, you decide to start this new venture. I'm I'm curious what the thought process was behind the decision to uh, grow flowers and and make gin. Well,
2: you know, if you talk to some people, there was no thought process at all in this; <laughs> and it was just they just decided to do this. But I guess it was we. Uh, there, there were several things that came into play here. Um, one, we were seeing that. Farms were getting bigger. While we were in Mexico and in Chile, John had was doing consulting in Kazakhstan. It was agronomy, and they were working with farms that the minimum size was a hundred thousand acres. So we could see the writing on the wall that farms were getting bigger, and that was the way to be economical. The part that ha- that we encountered was that when we came back from Mexico and 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 our excursion down south, we realized that people. Our neighbors already were expanding. They were already getting to 15,000 acres to 30,000 acres. And there was no land available for us to expand, even if we wanted to. We were at 5,000 acres, which was one set of equipment. And if we needed to expand, it meant, you know, another 5,000 acres. It wasn't just incrementally, like you could do another 1,000 or you could do another 500 acres. We needed to step it up big. There was no land of that size available really close to us, so it would have meant a lot of travel. And we realized that being great big grain farmers wasn't for us. You know, it just wasn't something that that we wanted to do. We really admired those farms that were really close to the customer, that had the opportunity to interact with the customer and, you know, see the expression on their face when you did something well or hear the feedback from them when, you know, this could be improved. So that really appealed to us. And the problem with doing something like that in a community the size of Leask is there are only 500 customers close by. So unfortunately, to do a value-added, close-to-the-customer or direct-to-the-customer kind of business, you need to be where customers are. And so that is why we made the decision, which is almost sacrilegious in Saskatchewan, to sell the family farm and do something different.
1: Well, I can only imagine how that went. In our podcast, we've talked a lot about the strong connection to the family farm, but many experts will say it's still a business regardless of that close personal connection, and it should be treated that way.
2: That is, that is exactly it, because it comes down to it is a business. We, we also had other factors um, in that we do have four children And they are all interested in agriculture, but grips wasn't their, their interest. Not at the time, and I don't believe it is now. And so, there may be other farms that they have somebody who's, you know, really excited about coming up and taking over, and we didn't have that in place, and so it wasn't, it just wasn't for us.
1: My guest is Barb stefanischen Cote with Black Fox Farm and Distillery. Okay, Barb, so Black Fox was born. It's built as a field to flask distillery. How do you gather the knowledge you need to build a distillery? I really want to know what you're putting into that gin and your liqueurs. We are
2: very thrilled that we were able to take all of our agriculture knowledge and turn it into something, you know, and, and harness it and turn it into something else. You know, we now uh, do exactly field-to-flask or seed-to-sip is what we, we do, in that we're the farmers that grow the ingredients that go, th- go into our bottles. We grow, uh, we grow a lot of pretty achilles. is the base grain that we use in a lot of our spirits. We also grow collocular flowers. We grow rhubarb. We have four acres of half and six acres of raspberries that we use for our liqueurs and also for our hash cap gin. We have bees on the property that we steal the honey from to use to sweeten our liqueurs. Uh, You know, those are some of the things that we can grow. In order to call gin, gin, the main ingredient has to be, or pardon me, not the main ingredient, the main flavor has to be juniper. We can grow juniper in Saskatchewan, but the juniper that we grow here is quite dry and bitter so we actually end up importing juniper for that purpose but we can grow all these other botanicals that I just talked about the rhubarb the calendula the rose hips that we use um, to to make these spectacular gins that uh, no one else can grow any you know they cannot grow the same way that we grow them here that kind of leads into the the topic of terroir Terroir describes the uh, the area that that an ingredient comes from, and all that goes into it: the climate, the sunshine, the amount of rainfall, the temperatures, the topography. The and then it also includes the decisions of the farmer: what variety, when do you harvest, you know, how do you store it, and all the rest of that kind of thing. And when you mix all that together, the the gins
1: and the whiskeys that we can make here can be are, are unmatched anywhere in the world. Now you've already touched on wanting to have that value-added experience and connecting with customers. Uh, you've really accomplished this by opening up your farm to visits. How has that been going? Mm-hmm. And that's where the flowers fit in.
2: So we now
1: grow acres and acres
2: of cut flowers for people to come out and you pick. It kind of started, uh, it's a long story of how we got into flowers. Originally, when we purchased this piece of land outside of Saskatoon, our original intent was it was going to be vegetables and a winery, and it turned out to be flowers and a distillery. So there were some twists and turns along the way. Um, with the flowers, we had sold to forests. We'd done weddings and events. We'd sold to grocery stores, uh, you know, a lot of wholesale and and stuff. What we found we enjoyed the most is having that experience of people coming out to the farm and picking their own flowers. We do grow a ton of pumpkins as well, so they pick their own pumpkins. And we have festivals out here that we can interact with the people and talk to them about do you know why we grow these kinds of vegetables here that we can't you know why we're not growing oranges and why we're not growing you know a lot of watermelon or something like that we can talk agriculture to them and we can explain to them this is where it all starts this is how it it comes about and so it gives us that link back to the consumer where we can you know we can do some education on agriculture which is sorely lacking in today's world
1: and you've been at this for five years now? We uh, purchased the
2: property 10 years ago, and Black Box is officially five years old, yes.
1: So obviously things are going well, and you plan to continue on this journey as long as you have the energy?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, we've probably never worked harder in our lives than we have to get this going. Every farmer knows how hard you work this has been all of the farming side along with all of the marketing and the sales and the production and the value added all rolled into one and yes, we believe this is a real going concern Um we've just been awarded some fantastic awards uh, for our whiskey and our our gins out of the UK, we've received masters medals which is higher than gold, uh, we ship now into China, we ship into Europe, we're expanding across Canada with our spirits Uh, it's been a remarkable summer for us despite COVID we've had a lot of people come out and maybe it's just a chance for people to get out and experience nature you know when when they've been shut in for too terribly long so it's uh, yes we see this as something our goal is to make the best Canadian whiskey out there and that's where we're headed
1: uh, whiskey, so
2: this is something new. And our whiskey will be launched within the next three weeks, so we're getting there.
1: Barb definition Cote is the owner of Black Fox Farm and Distillery. It's time for the weekly agriculture news roundup for September 21st, 2020. Canada's largest lentil customer said it was lowering tariff rates. It was very similar to India's lentil tariff reduction that lasted from June until the end of August. The tariff will go from 33% down to 11%, but just until October 31st. This is for all countries, with the exception of the United States. And Pulse Canada said it was working with the federal government to get additional details. The throne speech was short on agriculture commitments, but the president of the Canadian Cattlemen's Association said producers were mentioned. Bob Lowe told a virtual town hall meeting that farmers, ranchers and foresters would be recognized for their role in emission reductions. Grain growers of Canada were disappointed many of the pressing needs for Canada's agriculture industry were not addressed in the speech. President Jeff Nilsen said GGC listed six key areas that needed attention, including rural connectivity and improved business risk management programs. Well, how is your internet and cell phone service? Representatives from the Agricultural Producers Association of Saskatchewan are asking that question. APAS Connectivity Task Force will be researching this. APAS Vice President Ian Boxall said residents deal with consistent lack of access to services when it comes to both cell phone and internet service. In the same week, the Saskatchewan government then announced $70 million would be spent to enhance wireless coverage in rural areas. SaskTel plans to build 74 new macro cell towers in underserved rural and resort communities by early summer 2021. The Canadian Agri-Food Trade Alliance asked four cabinet ministers to push for progress on the Canada-EU trade agreement on the document's three-year anniversary. In a letter sent to the ministers, it said the deal had failed to deliver on its promises of exports of $1.5 billion a year, but it has fallen well short of that. The ministers were also asked to raise the issue with their EU counterparts. Women entrepreneurs from across the country participated in a virtual roundtable discussion with Canada's Agriculture Minister. Marie-Claude Bebo said the focus was on the opportunities and challenges that exist for women in agriculture and agri-food. Research shows barriers include work-life balance, skills training, networking and mentorship, access to information management and financial barriers. There are over 75,000 female farm operators, which is 28% of all farmers in Canada. And the Canadian Malting Barley Technical Centre launched a website to give users a closer look at the 2020 barley growing season and harvest. The website, which features crop quality photos and videos, was set up to replace Western Canadian crop tours for international malt customers that were cancelled due to COVID-19 restrictions. Managing Director Peter Watts said buyers would normally be able to see the crop firsthand, and they will now be able to get a sense of the quality of this year's malting barley crop through photos and information available on the